music is one of those things that can elevate an ordinary attraction into something great. And today we're talking with an expert at making great attraction music. We're talking with Brian Yessian. He's the music director for the upcoming Skyfly Soar America, a new flying theater that's coming to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee this summer. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Robert. Great to be here. Hey, before we get into the specifics of Skyfly, and, and we'll definitely get into that in a moment, yeah. tell me a little bit about what roles a music director play in the creation of a new attraction. Well, uh, as far as my position, we have a company called Yesian Music. So we are a um, multi-studio uh, facility in New York, Detroit, LA, and Hamburg, Germany. And we are responsible for working with our client and with the director on creating the sound, all, all of the sound for the attractions, from the music scoring, from the main film to the uh, pre-show cue area, as well as all the sound effects, sound design, and then taking it through the final mix of the actual project. So I'm kind of overseeing all of that production and working with our creatives to develop everything. So when did you become part of the process for, uh, for Skyfly? We actually started uh, last fall is when we kind of uh, really got going, uh, working with the director and talking about the creative intentions and and how we would uh, kind of plan this uh, this particular attraction out from a sound perspective. So, so what are some of the things that fans uh, can expect when they come to Pigeon Forge this summer or at some point in the future to see Skyfly? Uh, well, this is going to be a really unique ride. We're really excited about this one, especially um, having uh, another attraction here in the United States um, and developing something in a, in a great part of the country where, uh, I mean, just so many tourists come to this area. It's such a popular destination for people. And I think uh, creating something uh, that is homegrown in a way and very Americana-based uh, is very exciting. So I think the people, the guests that come here, are really going to connect uh, with this attraction. What, were, what feelings were you looking for in the music for this attraction? I mean, what kind of composers or works inspired the sound that you were going for here? Well, you know, this one, I think we were really trying to find a, a great way to connect, especially with the tourists that come to Pigeon Forge, which are, I would say, mainly Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's a driving destination for so many people, too. And so we took, uh, we took a lot of cues from Americana music and even the likes of national music like John Philip Sousa. Um, maybe not Amer an American composer, but Gustav Holtz is another inspiration for us. And you'll, you'll be able to listen to uh, part of the score that has some, you, you'll be able to tell the inspiration from his uh, famous piece, The Planets, um, which is very exciting. And then John Williams is always a big inspiration for us, especially on projects like this because of his film scoring techniques and the big sweeping scores that he creates. So um, that's always another uh, a great American composer that we look up to for inspiration. You're working with Nathan Paget as the composer on this particular uh, uh, project. Tell me a little bit about him and, and what he brings to, to the table and, and why you picked him for this. Well, Nathan is a composer, a great orchestrator and, and, and orchestral composer that we've worked with for well over a decade. Uh, he has just such a, uh, an acute uh, sense of um, sound um, and, and can connect with individual orchestral players very well. And the reason is because he's a multi-instrumentalist. So he plays various instruments as does his wife. And so they sometimes uh, combine forces on some of these projects uh, as well. And 
uh, it's really important uh, when we're, especially in a project like this, where we get to record a live orchestra, uh, that you understand how each of the individual players play. And he has such a great ear for that and, and, and a great uh, sense of creating uh, memorable melodies too and themes. And, and, and for a project like this, having a strong hook is uh, of um, monumental importance. Yeah, let's talk about that uh, live orchestra for a moment because this wasn't something sure. that was just put together you know, in front of a keyboard synthesizer. You've got a big live orchestra for this one, 70 musicians uh, recording at a studio in Nashville. Tell me a little bit about that whole process. And, and, and even maybe before we get to that, just tell me a little bit about the kind cost benefit analysis of using a big live orchestra for something like this. Sure. Well, you know, because not everyone does that. They don't. They don't. And we've, you know, we've worked on, um, you know, we work on a lot of uh, attraction work. And whenever we can work with an orchestra, it, I think, elevates that attraction to a level beyond any other attraction. And, you know, a lot of the, the big theme parks uh, like Disney or Universal, they do live orchestra for almost everything they do. And it really, I think, sets a high standard for the industry. And a ride like this, I think, is going to be, it's going to really benefit from having these live players. And, you know, it, it creates a human connection. When you, you can create some great uh, sampled orchestras through your computer, mm -hmm. there's no doubt. But when you have live players playing on a session like this, it really brings it to life. I mean, you, you have these human beings and especially on a job like this where they're not just from an orchestra because we work with orchestras all over the globe from budapest to bratislava seattle to salt lake uh london and we were fortunate enough to record here in tennessee in and kind of create a homegrown experience for this project so there's a, a connection between pigeon forge and the players that they're supporting here in Tennessee, which is fantastic. And the, the Nashville players are some of the best in the world. Yeah, because I was going to say, you, you didn't record this at some nondescript uh, studio in the middle of no place. Yeah, you had a pretty sweet little space that you were recording this in. Tell us we did. Yeah, that. we got to record at Ocean Way Studios in Nashville, which is one of the um, premier studios in the country, if not the world for that matter. And it's a, it's a really unique um, and very special place. I mean, artists there's so many artists that have come through that space and orchestras for that matter and it's actually an old church that they've converted into the studio so the acoustics in it are amazing it still has the stained glass in the windows and uh they have one of the most amazing um soundboards in the world really so and in the microphones alone oh my god the microphone uh they have the, i think the only place in the world that really rivals the microphone collection they have because it's all vintage micro microphones probably we were using upwards of half a million dollars in microphones is uh, Abbey Road in London. So those two studios are are, are going to be the best in the world for microphones. Yeah. Does, does that allow you to just kind of do more with the music when you're recording in a facility like that? It does, because the way that we had it set up, we had so many microphones and deca trees lining the entire space and an attraction like this, which is a multi-channel mix. So we're talking about, uh, I think this one is around 18.2 surround mix. So we, the way we record is that those microphones are surrounding the entire orchestra, plus we have point source microphones in each of the instruments individually. So we just have a lot more control and can make that sound really immerse the audience in the theater. Let's backtrack a little bit here and talk a little bit about 
more about you and your journey to get to this particular point. What were some of your biggest musical and artistic influences growing up, and, and how did they lead you to projects like this? Well, uh, I'm a classical clarinet player, so I grew up playing, I think, since fourth grade clarinet and played in concert bands and orchestras and then went to music conservatory in Austria eventually. And so I come from a, a pretty deep orchestral uh, background. And so I, anytime I can get in the studio working with orchestras or creating orchestra music um, with our teams is one of my favorite parts. And, and luckily in the theme park world, we do a lot of big kind of orchestral scores for, for the films. And, um, and then, you know, even going back to, I think my first trip to Disney World, I was maybe eight, nine years old. And, uh, and that's probably when I got hooked on the whole theme park side of things, because uh, that first trip, I remember the only things I brought back from that trip was uh, a Pluto plushie doll, which I always love Pluto. But uh, also um, when we had gone to Epcot, I was just really inspired and intrigued by this cultural going to different countries. So I brought this flag set back of all the flags from Epcot. Mm -hmm. And I had kept that in my room all the way through college, I think. And that always inspired me to, to travel and, and, and interact with different cultures. And luckily in this uh, line of work, working in theme parks, we've got to work in every corner of the globe for that matter, from Indonesia to the Middle East, to China, Korea, Europe. So it's, um, it's really been a great connection being able to do what I love, music, and combine that with what the, my other love, theme parks. Yeah, let, let's give the viewers here a little bit of context and uh, tell us a little bit about a few of the projects that you've worked around, worked on around the world. Sure, uh, we've had some some great opportunities. Um, we've done a lot of work together with uh, the Dynamic Attractions uh, teams uh, for Wings Over Washington, uh, flying over Indonesia and Bali, uh, um, flying uh, Hubei in the air, which was an uh, attraction in, in uh, China. And um, but then we've done things uh, for Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi and Universal Studios in Singapore. So we've uh, yeah, we've we've made the rounds quite a bit, which has been which has been great. What are some of the things that you've learned from those past projects that uh, you applied to this new project with Skyfly? You know, we're always learning something new from every project we work on. I have to say, which is amazing, this Skyfly is our 14th fly attraction, um, which is very exciting for us. Uh, we've, we've got to work on a, a lot of really fun ones out there. And I'd say we're, we're learning every time. We, we always learn new techniques, how to uh, create a different uh, environment in the mix and how we can really immerse the audience. Uh, and then picking up on what the audience picks up on. So after we finish an attraction, we always like to go back and see how people are reacting to it and what they respond to emotionally and what we could then think about improving upon for the next one that we do or how can we make the next one uh, even better. Yeah, because one of the things that I find fascinating about this whole process is, you know, in traditional film scoring, you're trying to match the action that's on the screen, you're trying to amplify, draw something out, contrast, just you're playing with that dimension of the visual. Here you've got another dimension to play with. It's not just what's on the screen, it's what's happening on your seat too, because right. these are rides. How, yeah. do you, how do you work that extra dimension into you know, the sound design of this entire experience. Oh, that's a great point. And we, we have to take our cues from what's happening visually, of course, in, in the film. And then since we've worked on so many uh, of these fly rides over the, the past uh, decades now, 
we've really learned how the programmers uh, work with the actual ride vehicle themselves in relation to what the content is um, on screen. And so we have to pay attention. We like to have early discussions about that as well so we, we can uh, get an understanding of how the ride vehicle movement is gonna happen, whether it's banking to the right or the left or forward or back, because some of the rides now are very adventurous and these the ride vehicles that can be a bit more aggressive than they were um, in the past for um, like a, a typical, uh, soaring over a landscape type film right. and then the, and then you have the effects that are happening on these rides so there's special effects like water um or scent and so we have to also respond to that so when we're looking at the visual we have to think about okay what if there's going to be water spraying as we're going through a waterfall or if there's going to be a scent how can we emotionally connect with that special effect um in a musical way or from a sound design perspective and um, and then there's new technologies where they're putting the speakers into uh, uh, behind the headrest behind your head so that we can utilize new ways of uh, bringing sound to people or the, the butt kickers under your seat. And how do we respond musically or sound design wise to that motion as well? So there's a lot to think about, but it's, it's always exciting and always a challenge. And a lot of it uh, truthfully will happen on site too, because we may make a little adjustments or tweaks when we're in the on-site mix process to make sure we're really hitting those moments in in the um, ride vehicle movement. Yeah, so you're coming to us from Pigeon Forge right now. So is that that's basically what you're doing at this moment? That's why we're, we're here for the finish, the final install. So we're going to be um, on site working with the teams from uh, Craftwork and Dynamic Entertainment and Dynamic Attractions and the ride programmers to now bring this all um, together and really uh, making sure that the the sound is working on par with the vehicle and with the film. Mm -hmm. That's that's got to be a lot of fun. It is. Um, it is. This is our favorite part. Absolutely. It, one of the things also I was kind of interested in is I mean we're talking about about composing for this 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 ride medium, but also I mean there can be a difference between something like this, which is you know this is basically a travelogue, and something that's more of a narrative IP based attraction. What are some of the considerations that you have, uh, both as a musical director and then also communicating with the composer, how you're going to be dealing with the context of what you're presenting on the screen? Yeah, this is quite different from working with an IP. So in the IP world, if we're working on one of the attractions we had worked on was Krish in Bollywood Parks in uh, Dubai. I love that. Uh, which is a fun one. We had a lot of fun I with that, that one. And um, that, uh, you know, we're, we're working with set themes and melodies that come from the from the film and from uh, from Krish that people are familiar with. So we had to adhere to those, those you know, arranging those melodies in a way that people would, be, be familiar with what that was. Um, with something like Skyfly Soar America, this is a blank slate for us. So we get to come into this project and uh, start from scratch really, and really start thinking about melodies and themes. How do we want to approach this? And then experimenting a little bit. So it's a, it's a little bit more wide open where we get to have a lot of back and forth with our clients and the creatives and the director and talk about what, where do we want to take the theme and how are we going to connect with our audience. So um, it, it's kind of a great opportunity because when we create this, it's this is a unique uh, melody and thematic idea that's only going to be played at this attraction. So there's right. not like other people are going to be picking up this theme and using it in other places. So it gives it a very um, unique and kind of special um, uh, approach to, to working with uh, the music this way. Let's talk a little bit about that connection with the audience. Um, just 
how what do you do to kind of get into an audience's head the head of the audience that hasn't shown up yet may not right. show up for months or years depending upon the the uh, the development timeline for this project how do you kind of anticipate how an audience is going to react to think about how you want to connect with them when you're in the design and development and composition process you know, I would say one of the things I think we all do is uh, there's a lot of sampling from our own families at home and when we're playing music. And if if we hear our kids or other friends or family um, humming something after a few times uh, playing it, then you know you've you're you're, you're uh-huh. making a connection there, and someone's remembering this this melody. So so we do that a lot. You know, we're we're always um, we're 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 kind of playing it for our teams because we since we have such a global reach and work with uh, our offices in various locations we we like to uh, share works in the development metal stage with our teams to kind of get reactions of how people in different areas of the country or the world that we work with respond to something and um, you know it's, it's a lot of trial and error I think but um, I think you know over the the last uh, decades and um actually you know this is for our company this is our 50th year in in wow. business uh we um you know have just had a lot of experience working with guests and and with uh, audiences to kind of figure out what are what's going to make them feel something or or, or connect with uh, a piece of music yeah when we started this conversation we we're talking about this is an american attraction primarily for an american audience mm-hmm. but it's also interesting that with working all around the world and you're talking about connecting with these audiences what have you learned over the years about some of the the regional differences that you have to consider um uh you know when when creating a composition and sound space for audiences in various parts around the world and what are some of the things that are just universal that always that always hit no matter where you are yeah you know i think um that's a great question because i think when we first started doing this and and you coming from a perspective of working in the u.s and and obviously our our our, um film industry is and, and and entertainment industry is by far the largest in the world so you kind of come at things thinking well we know how this is supposed to go. We know what people are going to respond to. And then you get into smaller parts of the world like China where they don't have the exposure to what we do here or the Middle East. And uh, you find that, well, people do respond to music differently or their ear is tuned a little bit differently into what they respond to and what they like uh, sonically. And so we learned a lot over these last um, these last years about cultural differences, what people respond to. So what we've always, what we, you know, we don't pretend we're going to be the, the complete experts in another culture's um, musical taste. So we ask a lot of questions. We, we try to study music and what are people listening to in these regions? What are, you know, from, from back in history to uh, current music and, and find ways to connect and, uh, and uh, understand culturally what the differences are between that. But then I think what's been great, and the the world's only becoming smaller and everyone's hearing music uh, from all over the world now in in various forms and and, uh, via various mediums uh, because the Netflix and the Hulus and the Peacocks, they're all um, bringing in content from different parts of the world. And so I think we're all exposed a lot more to a lot more variance in and um, in variety in music. Uh, so uh, now we've we're able to kind of take that knowledge and apply it to all of these uh, forms of working. Bringing this all together here, I mean, what was your favorite part of this whole project? 
Oh, gosh. You know, I mean, for me, being able to record a live orchestra is always, uh, I mean, that, that just makes me really happy. It puts me in a very happy place. So, uh, I, you know, working with musicians is, uh, is definitely my favorite thing. Uh, so that that was one of the highlights for sure. Um, and then, you know, even getting into the sound design process on this one, we've, we had, um, this is a fun one because of what the queue and pre-show is kind of bringing to life. It's this whole steampunk and factory kind of uh, uh, atmosphere. And so we had to really create some interesting factory and mechanical sounds that are going to bring this all to life so that when people come from the island outside where all the shops and restaurants are into this attraction, we're really wanting to transport them into a completely new place. And we have to do that immersively with sound. And and how do we kind of get them out of the mindset of being on a boardwalk and bring them into this environment and think that they're, they've been transported to a, a completely new new place. So uh, the sound design aspect um, is also a, a lot of fun to um, be a part of. Hey, we've been talking with Brian Yesian, who's the music director for the new Skyfly Soar America uh, Flying Theater that's coming to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee this summer. Uh, as we wrap up here, uh, yeah, what are you hoping that uh, audiences take away from this attraction if we can get them down to, uh, to Pigeon Forge to experience this new flying theater? You know, I, I just hope that they, they get a, a new sense for, for travel and seeing around uh, our beautiful country. I mean, you know, we've all been uh, kind of cooped up uh, for a long time now this, this last year. And I think uh, this is really going to renew people's um, uh, excitement for traveling around the around the country because there's there's so much to see in this country alone, and 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 I hope that you know with the music we really connect with a lot of the visitors, especially from some of the patriotic uh, little influences that we have in here as well. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, let's uh, maybe inspire people to put a few more uh, tracks on that playlist uh, when they get in the car for the road trip coming up this summer. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, that would be great. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for spending the time with us. This has been a wonderful insight into the creation of music and themed entertainment. And I think it's something that, uh, you know, we all uh, hear, we all obviously, and we all respond to emotionally. But I think it's great to get a little bit more of an understanding of the process that helps kind of create those emotions and experiences for fans. Right. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.